Hi. No, that's not how we're starting. Pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. Shredu roll pin. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Baella. Welcome to Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Before you think you've downloaded the wrong podcast, this week I'm turning the mic on our very own host, Chef David Martins. I'm your guest host, Rebecca Richelsoff. I met David five years ago as we worked alongside each other as chef instructors at Sur La Table. It was a fast friendship from there where we quickly bonded over our love of cooking, eating, and talking about future meals. The first time we hung out, you mentioned two things. One, we should see Adele together. And two, we need to do a podcast. Well, I saw Adele with you four years ago. It's about time we do this podcast. <laughs> Welcome to your own show, David Martins. Thank you very much. That was a very lovely introduction. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, here we are in your own show, mm-hmm. turning tables on you. Are you ready? No, but you know, at this point, <laughs> there's nothing I can do. So. We all know you've been to Portugal. What is your dream country to visit? Switzerland. Hmm. I'm not a beach person, but I like to know that the beach is close for me. That makes sense. Okay. There's like a mental thing knowing that if I'm half an hour away from the beach, that kind of calms me down. But I think Switzerland might be very, very beautiful with the mountains, the scenery, the food, the greens. I just, there's something about Switzerland. Wow. Okay. And... We all know you speak Portuguese. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your favorite Portuguese word? Oh, my favorite. It cannot be a curse word, right? Because that'll be bad. Whatever. Nobody will know, right? Um, See, my English one was balloon for a while. (laughs) Oh, I love that word. (laughs) I like balloon. My my favorite Portuguese words. um... Do you need a minute? To marinate on that? Yeah, I need to marinate on that. I'm just thinking. I don't know, actually. What's marinate my... is a great English word. Yeah, not the great Portuguese words. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll marinate on that one. Give it a think. Now that we have breezed past your beginning first questions, mm-hmm. we are here at your 10th anniversary of living in the United States from a life in Portugal. How did you get here? So I did a culinary program in Lisbon and my school my program finished in February and at the time embassies across the world the Portuguese embassies and the Minister of Foreign Affairs they were doing this program trying to put a lot of young chefs in different embassies instead of having these older people they prefer like young blood and actually from Portugal and they started this program with Ireland like in Ireland the Portuguese guy he went there he he worked for the ambassador there and then the second one was the DC and then DC the ambassador at the time he went to London and he took his chef with him so the position became available first week after I finished culinary school uh, we received an email from the two uh, classes that they were finished the program and they said like oh you know if you want to apply there's this position and I applied really without knowing because Although DC is a very political city, Lisbon is not, although it's the capital. So, you know, nobody knows an embassy chef. Nobody knows what that means. So I applied. First of all, I applied thinking I will not get the job. And second of all, I applied just really just for applying. You know, when you apply jobs, it's like, sure, nobody's ever going to get that back to me. And and I did. And I, I went to the interview. I was the only person wearing a suit. 
I borrowed from a friend of mine that is, <laughs> I'm, I'm not very tall, but he's like four inches smaller than me. So, okay. and I'm like size 10 and he's like size eight. So my shoe, the shoes were like just, just destroying my feet and I was very <laughs> uncomfortable, but I was the only person wearing a suit. And later on when I was already in DC, because the person that did the interview was the ambassador's wife, she actually told me like, you were the only person wearing a suit. Huh. I wonder was, what everyone else showed up in. Just like khakis and just, you know, they thought it was something a little more cash. And I, there was 20 people. The first one was a very good friend of mine. She was selected right away. And then I was the last one. And oh, wow. when I left, the ambassador wife said, this is the person that I want. She contacted my school and said, I have these two, two people, which was me and my friend Inga. She's actually the one that says Pastej Nata at the beginning of the song and the introduction of the podcast. And oh. everybody in the school said, choose her, not David. No. Everybody, pastry chef, savory chef, everybody said that. And the ambassador wife said, I'm, I'm so glad normally I like to go against what people say. So she called me. So on my mom's birthday, March 30th, she called me. And then three months after that, I was in D.C. That's my long story. That is amazing. What if you didn't get the job? What else, where else did you apply? Did you ever envision yourself at a restaurant? So I was working at a restaurant, right? I was working with Chacal. He's, he's an Argentine chef. I was working there. But at the same time, I actually got the job offer to come to D.C. I got a job offer to work in Brussels because the previous year I was six months in Brussels, my last internship. And actually they want me to come back. So I, I don't think if I have, if I had been DC, I would have moved to, to Brussels actually. Wow. Sliding doors. Very cool. Working at the embassy. Mm -hmm. What, it, where do you find your inspiration for every dinner party, every event that you do with the ambassadors? Where do you harness your meal inspiration from? I think it's a combination. I think everybody's a chef. It's a little bit like that. It's from going out to eat. Sometimes you eat something and be like, this would be good if I had this or, you know, try to, to do the same dish, basically, that you ate. It's between that, my own inspiration, things that I write, and a lot of cookbooks. I have tons of cookbooks. So those three things, although in, at the embassy, we have to follow this kind of guideline that has to be European food or try to have European food, European dishes. But I try to, those are normal my inspirations, is eating out. So for 14 months was horrible because there was no inspiration. <laughs> and cookbooks and my own inspiration. So, you know, and after a while, when you do for so long, you kind of, it's easier to put everything in your brain. But those right. three are, or just something, and also play by the seasons. Because now, you know, you don't want to eat a stew now. I guess you can, but you know, it's not the, so you try to think about things like that. Um, that's how my brain normally works. And then I just try to separate and then put everything in groups in my little brain. So, yeah. And then what are your go-to cookbooks? Are there any like favorite authors you have or? I mean, because it's now it's European food, I have to try to, and then I bought a lot of books from, you know, Lithuanian food and things like that. Hmm. But uh, in the US, I got a great inspiration has been Sean Brooke. He has two amazing books called Heritage and South. More European books, uh, Raymond Blanc. He he does simple French food, but it's really, really good. It's like a Jacques Pepin kind of style. And and actually also with, with the podcast, I was very lucky because three, four years ago, three years ago, I bought a lot of cookbooks from Europe because that's when we started doing this European food. And I was very lucky to have a lot of those people on my podcast. 
And, you know, people, especially if you do like Eastern Euro- Europe, European food, you know, Olia Hercules, and she has three books. Those are really good. Zuza Zak, she's a Polish author. She has great books as well. So, you know, I try a little bit. I mean, these are, these are three, four names, but those are a lot of books that I keep going back to look at some recipes and things like that or authors. I actually should have asked this question earlier because for you and I, living in DC, being an embassy chef or telling someone you're an embassy chef, like I know exactly what that is. What exactly does an embassy chef do? What is your job entail every day? My purpose, my purpose. Your purpose. purpose is, so basically you cook for the ambassador and his family, if there's a family, if they want. And then I'm, you know, I'm the one that takes care of the kitchen. Normally, there's two kitchens. Normally, not just one. Normally, there's a catering kitchen, as they call it, in the private kitchen. I normally work at the, well, at the embassy. It's the catering kitchen, as they call it. And basically, I'm responsible for the official breakfast, lunches, and dinners we have or receptions or whatever. And whenever the family wants me to cook for them or leave food for them, that's what I do. So I do all the planning, all the meal planning, all the washing, you know, all the pastries, all the savory, everything is food-related. It's it's my, my my business. So I take care of all of that. I mean, I have seen you in action and you do a great <laughs> job. And speaking of you in action, what was your most favorite embassy event that you have catered or worked for? Well, it has to be, and people know this, but you know, it has to be when I cook for the Obamas. Because I have very I have a very strong feeling about it, about them, as you know. And it was always my dream to when I moved to the US, I always said I would love because Obamas are already a star. They're like star like movie stars, right? They're not just your quote unquote just politician. And in Portugal, the stars, it's almost like a family thing, because you know where they are, you know, they go to this coffee shop, that restaurant. US is not exactly like that. At least DC. I mean, maybe if I lived in LA, you would see a lot of people. And you lived in New York and you saw some famous people as well. So but in DC, I don't know exactly where they're going. And so they have this status that I think is just so huge that I never thought would be possible. And meeting them and completely exceeding my expectations of what they are because people always think like oh they're nice people whatever politics aside you know people think like oh they're they're always friendly or and they were beyond that you know it was my 30 second conversation that i'll save until the day that i die but nobody will ever take that from me so that's i mean the obama's by three thousand miles not necessarily the food that i enjoyed the most making but because it was the obama's yeah right what was the meal you enjoyed making the most? Oof. Can it be like a collage of events? Yeah, it could be whatever, so, whatever lives in your heart as your favorite. I think it's all because of reactions that I had uh, yeah. from guests. Um, unfortunately, at the European Union, I don't have so much interaction with the guests. At the Portuguese Embassy, yes, I did. Every dinner and every lunch, I would meet whoever was there. At the European Union, it has been like just a few people like the Obamas and that's it. I remember... So, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if it's my favorite thing that I made, but because I saw the reaction of the other person that kind of made me, okay, I won the day. Let's put it like that. The one was I made a, a caldo galego, which is a very simple Spanish soup, which has like cabbage and potatoes, nothing like super fancy because I knew the Spanish ambassador. He was from that region. And at the end, I remember he came to me crying, saying that his grandma used to make like that. The, huh. the, so, you know, it's a potato soup with cabbage but that was really important because that means something that means 
you touch someone and that's a little more of a deeper level, I guess, that I like to approach the embassy in my job like that. I remember that one. I remember my desserts. I was very raw when I arrived at the embassy, so I didn't know a lot of things. My plating was really bad. I, I still don't think it's great, but my plating was not great. But I remember the first dessert. I moved from appetizer to dessert, but I remember the dessert that I made for the president of Portugal. It mm -hmm. was what you grow in your garden. So you look like a garden. Nice. And nowadays, a lot of people do it. But, you know, 10 years ago was like a thing. I was like, oh, I'm trying here. And, you know, it was like a celery root ice cream because people grow celery. And, you know, it was like a... A, a very farm table. Exactly. Very far, like a caramelized tomato because people, you know, so I tried and I remember he enjoyed it a lot. You know, I remember he, him and he's a more reserved guy. He shook my hand and I was like, oh, okay, uh, he liked that. And the main course, I think the main course, it has to be the beef Wellington because every time I make, I know people really, really love. And since the previous, I mean, since the first ambassador at the Portuguese embassy and then the previous ambassador at the EU and this current one, I think that's the one people always love. So, Well, I think all the dishes that you just mentioned, as you did mention, it did touch someone's food memory. Is I think that's really what drives me personally. And I think you to cook and because you do cook for people personally, as opposed to working on a line in a restaurant, you know, the joy of seeing them feel that food memory, even if it is just a potato soup, who knows, like they could have been eating that potato soup with their family in a beautiful garden somewhere. And that memory is just so satisfying that I think I would feel the same way about your food too. If Yeah. And I, and I, I, and I think that's the, I know I'm not a great cook, but I think I'm a great chef. I think there's, there's three ways you can do this. I think you can be a very good cook and a bad chef. You can be a very good chef and a bad cook. And you can be, I guess, ideally you want to be a great chef and a great cook. Right. I see my job at the embassy. My mission is to touch, I'm going to say touch people's hearts. You know, sounds a little cheesy, but no, but it's true. That's the that's my goal. I might not be able to do the most foie gras mousse of this world in da da da, but I always try to see who's the guest, and I always try whatever my capacity I can do something about that person, thinking about that person, and that's just something I know what sets me apart from other people. And some people might completely disagree with me. I see other embassy chefs; they make great food, but it's not personal food. Right. You think about themselves. It's like, this is my, it's like a showroom. This is my showroom. You look what I make and that's it, which is okay. Well, the ambassador is literally inviting them into his home. So I think your goal is correct to make them feel at home, whether it's their home or the ambassador's home. Yeah. And so I, I that's always, always until I stop working at an embassy, that's always what I think is going to set me apart. Not necessarily, again, the food, maybe it's not outstanding, but I do believe, well, I believe the food is good, but I think it's a combination of all the factors. It's the same way when you think about the best meals you ever have. Normally, right. it has something to do, I mean, the food, yes, it's supposed to be good, but it has something to do with who you were, you know, your mood at the time. Normally, it's like a whole elements four or five yeah. elements and i think about those four or five elements i don't think we'll ever be just solely for the food but if i can just strip down a little bit that concept of embassy uh that's my goal that's not necessarily to be and of course grow as a chef but always try to think about who's sitting at the table well yeah you want to give your diner the best experience possible mm -hmm. yes 
and highlight all of those European ingredients and dishes, which is, you know, you yourself are a diplomat. I'm a non-paid ambassador for Portugal, basically. Yes. <laughs> you are uh, preaching to the choir over here. I am. <laughs> so speaking of working in the kitchen, if you were to pick a dream sous chef, <laughs> besides you, we've already worked together several yes. times. Uh-huh. Who would it be? I think people that I mentioned before, I just because I developed this love for these people and discovery, I, you know, Sean Brooks, something like Thomas Keller, Sean Brooks, something like that, I think would be David Chang. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. 100%. <laughs> I touch your heart now. Yes. You David did. Chang. Yeah. I think because, you know, there are interesting people. It has to be someone that I want to learn with them. That's the thing. I right. want to like see what they're doing. Yeah. But like Sean Brooks, probably, or David Chang, Thomas Keller, Alice Waters. Just Jacques Pepin, why not? Maybe we can bring Jacques. I mean, Jacques will be a great sous chef. Fabulous. Yeah. So yeah, I think something like someone like that. That would be interesting. I guess it was five people, but instead of one. But... That's, hey, you can have a team. It's of... my podcast. I can have. <laughs> it's, it's your kitchen. You can yes. work with who you want to. That's true. <laughs> now you stepped out of the kitchen. Who are your five dream dinner guests? Dead or alive? I will, I'll have Oprah. Great. I'll have Ronaldo, the soccer player. Great. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So we have Ronaldo, we have Oprah, that we're covering a lot there. Uh, I would have Joe Biden. Great. So Joe Biden, Oprah, Ronaldo. <laughs> it has to be alive, right? No. Oh. This is your dream. This is not really happening. But if it did. Michael Jackson. <laughs> Great. The stable is going. <laughs> really sucked um and michael jordan fabulous i mean the conversations yes listen you know what (laughs) food brings everyone together Together. so so now we've talked about you and your life at the embassy i met you at the lovely sir latab as we were chef instructors Mm -hmm. so tell me what you loved and did not love about being a chef instructor or just love. For me, it's the ability of being myself. So I, as you might, as you know, I'm, I can be a little sassy in classes and that's who I am in my normal life because I went to, I did three different schools, actually. I mean, I was just in one for a week, culinary schools, but in Sulatov is not exactly culinary school, although they love to call it culinary school. Recreational culinary classes. There you go. I know the gaps that or what was missing uh, mm-hmm. when I was in school. And again, in school, a little more, it's a little different. But yeah. just the ability of going there and just to talk about something that you love and talk about something that you know, to an extent, sometimes I don't know things. I think it's really cool because people are, they have a genuine interest to be there. And you can pick on them. You know, some people can't, so you can't. But I like that. I like to do, it's almost, I always call it like running a David show. So mm-hmm. I go there, it's my show, you know, I do, I have those helpers basically for two hours and I just want, always want them to have, I always say, I want them to have a good time and I want them to learn a few things. And if I did that, perfect. And just surprised me the amount of simple information that people don't have when it comes to food and not because I'm in a kitchen, but there are some things that are just so automatic for us Right. that I remember when I saw that for the, you know, when I saw the first time someone separating eggs and took 15 minutes. I was like, wow. 
right? It's just so being able at the embassy, you have to be a little more restrained sometimes. But you know, in classes, being myself, and I can just be silly if I want to be silly. I can be serious if I want to be serious, and just it's your own world for two hours, and you have that ability to basically do whatever you want. As long, of course, you giving them what they want, which is to learn a few things. Right. I love that. I love the freedom about classes. I like that a lot. And I love to talk and get to know people. What's your favorite class to teach? I, I don't have it. I can tell you the, my least favorite class to teach. Yeah. I, always, I always say it's about the students because sometimes there's a class I might think, well, we had a Portuguese class. I guess that was the highlight for six years at Surlatavo, but right. it wasn't exactly Portuguese. But it's all about the students because sometimes people are a little more upbeat. Sometimes people have a little more low energy. So it's difficult, if, as you might well, know, 16 people, low energy, just it's you're trying to pull for 16 people. Yeah. Uh, it's very difficult. But the, my least favorite one is pasta, which I know you love, but I... My one of my most favorite classes to teach is it the mess? It is no, it's because if I do a normal menu or if we're teaching a normal menu, it's very easy to know timeline how long people will take normally, yes. right? But pasta, you never know. Some some people can roll pasta and cut pasta in five minutes, and some people take twenty minutes. And those, as you might know, those classes you need to be very spot on when it comes to hours and times, yeah. all of that. Pasta class drives me crazy, crazy. I hate pasta classes. It gives me like an adrenaline rush. I know like, you I love flowers. <laughs> let's do this. Let's roll that pasta. I can't. No, I can't. What is your best story that you could tell us from one of your classes? A, a funny anecdote, a, something that really just, just carried with you. Oh, let's see. Try to go back 600 classes or something. I'll give you an example. I had a woman who was a vegetarian who told me for an hour and 45 minutes, she was a vegetarian. We had a salad at the end of class that had a lovely, I think it was a prosciutto crisp crouton on top. And she came up to me and was like, where's my prosciutto crisp? And I said, well, you told me you're a vegetarian. Yeah, but I eat prosciutto. (laughs) Something like that. Okay. uh, This is a silly one. I have a bad, I have a uh, one with bad and I have a silly one. A silly one was like the, f- the, my fifth class that I thought it was Korean class. And mm-hmm. I did not know anything about Korean food at the time. I have to admit, or very, very little. The classes are super easy because there's so many ways you can cook something, right? There's like seven or eight ways. And then just change the, the ingredients. You got to know what the ingredients are. Da, da, da. So there was this Korean lady in my class. And at the end of the class, she came up to me and she said, chef, I just wanted to let you know. You're so knowledgeable. You know, I was born in Korea, lived in Korea. And I mean, she was in her 70s. And she was like, you know, I never seen someone knowing so much about Korean food. You know, for how long have you been studying Korean food? And I remember looking at my watch and I told her like for about three hours and a half. Oh, my God. And she thought I was joking. I was like, I'm not joking. <laughs> that was the that was one that I always remember because it was just silly. The second one, it was just I mean, it was stupid because <laughs> it was a couple and she was chopping kale. He was chopping kale. Okay. You know, r- roughly chop. Mm-hmm. And I still don't understand why up until this day she did that. She literally put her hand underneath the knife. Oh, my God. I just don't understand. And I remember he was right in front of me and I saw that happening. And I actually, I, I of course, I helped her. But then my, my question was like, why did you do it? Yeah. And she was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. You know, she couldn't explain. But those two, I guess I remember for different reasons. As your students were wrapping up class. What would be the three most important kitchen tools you would want them to always keep in their kitchen? A good nonstick pan. 
a good food processor just because to make sauces and things like that makes your life much, much easier. And and a good knife. I guess the knife has to be. What is your number one rule in the kitchen when it comes to either you or when you're teaching a class? You know, cliche, but just have fun. Don't be so uptight in the kitchen. It's just the worst thing, right? People get so obsessed recipes and, oh, God forbid, if you don't have a chicken stock, you're not going to cook anything or right. just just have fun. You know, I grew up with a mom that's not a good cook, but she was like, she never owned a cookbook. I never seen her reading one recipe. So, you know, people just used to do that, right? That's what grandparents and parents, they used to do that. Just like toss a few things together. Sometimes it was good. Sometimes it wasn't. Normally it wasn't. But but I think the whole fact of having, I think people just become very anal, very like everything's very structured. I mean, you can prepare things, yes, but don't be so like, you know, just just let go the recipe for like half an hour. Just just see how you do it. Like, oh, you know what? What happens if I put these five things together? The worst thing can always happen is just not work. As much as it sounds silly to say, it's true. The next time you try. But I think it's all about just having fun and don't be so uptight. That is a great, I think that is a great rule to live by in and out of the kitchen. Yeah. I could listen to every once in a while. <laughs> do you want to yeah. talk, talk about it? <laughs> No, this is your podcast, not mine. So, you know, we're going to keep it. We're going to keep it on the level of that. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions that you typically ask your guests. Okay. You are deserted on an island. You could use their salt water and coconuts. Otherwise you can, you have one protein you can bring one vegetable, one fruit and one already made dessert what would you bring with you? It has to be, I think chicken is the best one to use because you can just use so many things with the chicken, right? You can break it down. You can make a stock, you know, no chicken. No, no, I agree. But is it the protein that you want the most or is it the protein that you think is going to be the most handy? It's still going to be more, it's going to be more, it'll be more versatile because if I take a New York strip, you go like two, three ways. If you take a chicken, there's a whole lot you can do. So chicken. I can, chicken every day so and i got the coconuts maybe like making like like a curry with the coconut uh chicken my vegetable would be i came with the realization that i liked vegetables but i'm not so sure you know you love ramps i do but i wouldn't say they're my favorite vegetable yeah i'm trying but i always it's something with fruit i i like fruit but i cannot like but the vegetable we'll get to the uh, to the fruit i think tomatoes hmm I love a good tomato. Technically a fruit, but we can classify them as yeah, okay, vegetables let's, for let's, this. Yeah, thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's my podcast again. <laughs> let's just do tomatoes. Tomatoes for vegetables, for the fruits, peaches. A good peach. Mm. Love a good peach. Peach, tomatoes, and, and chicken. I'm not sure how well we're going, but hey. I mean, we're not playing chopped right now. We're just That's playing. True. You have to <laughs> it feels like it. the rest of your time. Oh, and dessert. The dessert, it has to be a brownie. Because oh, anything chocolate with chocolate and chocolate and chocolate. Yes, that's me. Brownies with a side of brownies with Brown- a side of fudge. And if people want to try the best brownies, just go to Melting Pots. As you might know, as you know very well, I, David, goes ballistic crazy. Melting Pots yeah. does the best. Dipping little sauce, brownies, it just, it's outstanding. I've, I've, I've <laughs> seen you eat them. I've seen you order them. I've seen the waiter's face when you order yep, them. Yep. I... I know how much you I love, love those brownies. Love it. Yes. Is, I hope they have enough 
to send you to that island to last a lifetime. Me too. That'd be awesome. What is your first memory of taste? It was coming from school. It was always in the after my afternoon snack. It was a mashed banana, just a squeeze of orange and sugar mix up together. And that's it. It was that uh, that I remember very well. And I remember my, my mom and my stepdads. So this was one. And the other one was always every Sunday. They used to make, there's something in Portugal called cozido a portuguesa, which is you basically imagine grab a big pot with water and you boil your meats first. Mm-hmm. And then the same water to boil. And you can do like pig's ear, but you can do, you know, like briskets, whatever you want to do. And then you put that aside and then you boil the chorizos and the blood sausage and all of that. And then you put that aside and you boil all in the same water, cabbage, and you put that aside and then turnips, carrots, da, da, da. So basically it's a big platter, nothing mixed up together. Everything is separate. So in a platter, imagine you're going to put the meats, the chorizos, the cabbage, the potatoes, the rice. And it's super, I mean, it's, it tastes pretty good. There's no sauces. There's no, there's nothing, but it's called a cuisine because in every Sunday they used to make that. And you got to eat that for lunch because if you eat that for dinner, you have a heart attack. It has to be a lunch thing because everybody will just have to take a nap afterwards because it's very heavy. But those things, just two things I remember, but me eating, it was always the banana. That was my snack. Was it like with a spoon on toast? No, no, on toast? I don't know. My mom used to make mashed bananas and I would spread it on toast. It's delicious. Oh, no, no. Well, I know. I learned something we do with you. Don't yuck anybody's yums, but... Yuck my yums. Uh, no, no, no. Just on a bowl. Just like bowl, smashed banana, like half of a banana, a little bit of squeeze of oranges, a little sugar, mix it up, eat it. This spoon. Hmm. Yep. Delish. Really good. I believe that's called a Madeleine de Proust. Is like your food, like a uh, food that brings you back to a certain memory. Well, I'm learning today. I don't know though. I might be wrong. So that's again something well, you no, might We'll have. keep that one just in case. <laughs> what do you think is the most underrated ingredient? Mm, I love, love celery root. Mm. Because you can eat raw, you can deep fry it, you can. It's really good with seafood, with fish. It's really, really, really good. And I don't like celery, but celery roots, I like it. Uh, I normally like put a potato or something because it needs a little starch. Yes. If you make a mashed potato, if you make a mashed uh, celery root, but I love celery root. Why don't you like celery? Is it the strings? The flavor just doesn't do it for me it's a little too strong it's much milder the flavor of the celery root instead of the celery you like sure. celery don't you um i like celery when it's like slathered in scallion cream cheese or with peanut butter oh. otherwise or, or in tuna fish salad but otherwise i oh you so know. you're not one of those just grabs a piece of like they think it's awesome just grab a piece of celery and just okay yeah Okay, by you know your face, no. five years. When have you ever known me? I haven't. It's true. I'm just not doing, it's more likely I'm grabbing like a bag of Fritos or okay. you know, mm-hmm. something along those lines. What do you think the most overrated ingredient is? Lobster. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I uh, I think the what you get from the animal when you break everything, we take everything from the shells, basically, right? It right. just there's nothing. I mean, you buy this big lobster. And then you have like two ounces of meat. It's like two pounds of spinach when you cook it becomes like one ounce. But at least spinach is good. I like spinach, the flavor. Lobster, I just don't get it. I don't know if I would actually compare 
the cooking down of a bag of spinach <laughs> to what I'm getting from a lobster. But you get the idea, right? I do get the idea. It's yeah. a, um, as Dave, my husband would say, it's not a lot of juice for the squeeze. Yeah. When mm -hmm. like break down a lobster, but growing up on the beaches of Long Island, lobster is just delicious and worth every shell breaking moment. Yeah. But you know, I'm yeah. not gonna cook your yum. Or, you know, vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So lobster it is. So, do you, know, do you know how to say lobster in Portuguese? Do I know how to say <laughs> anything in Portuguese except for brigadeiro? <laughs> I practice. Lagosta. Like, oh, like langoustine. Yeah. Same. Lagosta. There you go. We have langoustine. There's our Lagosta. There you go. Lagosta. Lagosta. Mm -hmm. Ooh, we are learning so much. So, I know this answer. And I implore you to put a picture of your answer on your Instagram page. What is your favorite breakfast? <laughs> I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but what are you trying for me to say is so I love baby food. So there's this specific it's made I still cannot describe the flavor. We still have to, I still have to make it for you. It's basically 60% flour. It has a little bit of like vanilla-ish almost flavor. And you add hot water or milk. And it can be super thick or very runny. I always do it hot water and I like super, super, super thick. Uh, just like, you know, to cover holes in your house. It's like, doesn't look very good. And I just love it. I mean, you give that to children, like to newborn, like six months or something to bulk them up. And I don't need that yeah. anymore bulking up. I like that, but I cannot eat that, for instance, during the summer. It's like a dinner. It's like a winter thing. A cozy breakfast. It's a very cozy breakfast. Otherwise, I'm very classic on my breakfast, which is always... Coffee with milk. Mm -hmm. There's no those macchiatos, lattes, weird things. Just uh, coffee with milk. Toast with mm -hmm. a good butter. I like my sourdough bread to get like super toasty, you know, almost like black. And I like to yeah. dip in the coffee. And a little bit of yogurt. Yogurt, uh, some smashed banana. Again, the same thing. Smashed banana, a little bit of agave. Not honey. I hate honey. That's it. Really? I don't like honey. I don't. It's too When I try agave for the first time in the U.S., Honey's way too strong. It's very strong honey. So I, I prefer agave. It's funny because when I cook with agave, I feel like I use less because I think it's sweeter. But I love that you just said a classic breakfast. I'm <laughs> unsure that when you uh, look up the definition of American classic yeah. breakfast. A Portuguese classic breakfast. Banana, yes. Yogurt and toast. Sorry. Yeah, I forgot but to say the like Portuguese classic. Yeah. I'm in whatever gets I, you started in the morning. I can't do the, I can't do eggs. I just don't like. I know it. you can't. I, I know. Don't like Literally, eggs. I think eighty percent of your podcast episodes, when you ask your guests this question and they're like, "Oh, a great scrambled egg," you're like, "Nope, not for me." No, Absolutely. I really cannot. I can do it if I'm awake for like five hours already. I might do, but it's not even for brunch. It's not something something I will. Oh, let me go for an omelet. Mm, no. I'm such an egg snob. I won't even eat eggs outside my house because I think I make them the best. But I do know that eggs for a lot of people are a textural phenomenon. Like but I like a good quiche. Mm. Well, it has the good crust. So it's like you're eating it's really. crust and the ham, you put a little ham or, or bacon, whatever it is in the quiche. Yeah, but just. The egg is eggs a vehicle for everything else. You're not just like eating eggs. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I feel you. I don't agree, but I feel you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what is the strangest combination of food oh, you've ever seen someone put together? 
or that you do yourself that people think is strange? Well, I've been saying this a lot lately. The, the microwave, my cereal, puts my cereal milk 30 seconds in a microwave. People think it's just horrendous. Don't do that. I've seen people do this before. It See? is, you're not the first, you were the first person I've heard do this, but I have subsequently seen two other people, non-Americans, do that. So maybe it's like an American thing that we like super cold milk cereal. And, and I've been thinking about other things because I, you know, I was preparing for this interview. One thing I used to love, I haven't eaten in a long time, it was pizza, but with tuna. Like a, a canned smoked tuna? Like a... Yeah, just like a, you know, an olive oil canned tuna, but you bake it. I mean, you oh. do the, the topping and you bake, you don't put a lot of cheese. And I, there was something, it's really good, actually. It sounds probably not well, but it's it was really good. I love a good pizza with a little bit of tuna. So I guess that'll be weird. Yes. Yeah. Like if you think about like typical American pizza, I think it's weird. But if you think about like a more like Euro style, just like more sauce, I'm envisioning like a tuna, like a an olive maybe. Like yeah, a more yeah. That, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A niçoise pizza, if you will. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but I think it and something people do that's a little weird. I'm just going to be full on American here. Just yeah. trash the Americans. Put, oh. gra- put gravy on top of mashed potato. Well, I'm just going to stop you right there because <laughs> I, as you know, would be happy to have a bowl of gravy and just a little solid. I, don't, I mean, I love the gravy for the purpose what the gravy is, but not to put on mashed potatoes. Do you put anything on a mashed potato? Well, my mashed potato has a lot of butter. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. Your mashed potato is more like a classic culinary school, like pump puree, mm-hmm. like more butter than potato. Yeah, yeah. A lot, yeah, basically, I always say for one roasted potato, a big one, which normally is almost like a pound because they can be really big. I normally put one stick of butter, mm. one stick to a stick and a half. Yeah. Well, as I love that recipe, <laughs> most people's mashed potatoes are like a lot gamier and a lot chunkier. So I think the gravy is a good Something to mellow it out. Yeah, I mean, or ranch and pizza. That's also weird to me. Oh. I can think about some stuff, but do you like that? I hate ranch, and it's a very unpopular opinion of mine, but yeah, yeah, I'm so down with ranch. Okay. Not That's, my idea of a good time, no. ranch dressing, let me tell you that much. Davide. Day. Yes. This has really been a lovely experience, even though I talk to you all the time. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It was um, think people going to enjoy it. Was it boring? No. I hope so. I hope people like it. I hope they got to know a little bit about you. Me too. And a little bit more of what I know mm-hmm. of you. And if you allow me to gush for just two seconds to your listeners, Go for it. that you are just beyond an amazing chef, an amazing friend who took me in after admittedly, I was not the nicest to you when we first encountered each other. And David was worried that I, as a New Yorker who moved to DC for her boyfriend, was going to up and leave because it was going to work out. Well, luckily it worked out and we worked out and you took me in as your family and you are my brother and I love you so much. And I'm so, so proud of you for doing this podcast. Thank you very much for those words. Thank you. It's my it's my pleasure. It has been wonderful. Six years now, five years, five to six, five to six. Yeah. So I'm I'm really happy, and I could not think a better person to do the interview. So it was a no brainer. So well, thank you. I have (laughs) one more 
question for you. Mm-hmm. And then we shall wrap this up. Yes. You know, you started this podcast during, as I'll call it, the panini, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. What besides the podcast that has changed you? Um, is there anything that you have found out about yourself or learned about yourself in the last year that now that the world is opening up again, you are stepping out into it a little bit differently? Uh, yes. And this might be a little, contra- I'm going to contradict myself slightly what I was saying at the beginning. I felt that I was missing a deeper connection with food. Hmm. That I was, I think that happened because talking with a lot of people on a podcast and some people breed food, you know, some people really, it's since they wake up until they, they go to bed. And I started feeling really bad about it. I was like, I don't do that. And that's just something, an adjustment for me, because I've said this before to you, is when I get to the embassy, I love it. That's my world. But for some reason, my brain cannot keep going, keep, keep carrying that as soon as I leave the embassy. And I think that was one of the biggest discoveries was, okay, I don't have this. Is it bad? I don't think necessarily is bad. It's just something you have to work on. And I realized that I don't have that... I have the passion, but it's not a 24-7 passion. Right. Well, you also are a human who has many passions. So sometimes it is nice for you to be able to turn off one passion that's work and turn on another passion that is more leisurely, like the MBA. Love my my Dallas. Yes. I know you do. I know you do. I don't know how they did this year, so. Yeah, we don't have to talk about it. Okay. That's fine. I don't know. Yay sports. Yay sports. I think we're going on a tangent here. Okay. (laughs) Well, this has been a lovely afternoon. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to do this. I can't wait for us to have brunch again soon. Mm -hmm. I I agree. I miss you in real life. This was fun. This was fun. It wasn't wasn't as bad as I thought. You thought I was going to be bad? No, I didn't think you were going to be bad because I knew... I knew you've been. I know you've been preparing for this for a while. I think when two people know very know each other very well, it gets. I'm not gonna say awkward, but it'd be like, oh, let's pretend. You know, this is an interview. But I hope people can learn more about me, more about you. It was good. As we wrap up, last question: Have you been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? Turning chickens and breaking dishes is a Portuguese saying. Turning more chickens means have a lot of experience or breaking more dishes means exceeding expectations. David? Exceeding expectations. Yeah, you are. Never thought. That's why I, some people ask me sometimes like, oh, should I go for this? And I'm like, go for it. What, you know, 10 years ago I was finishing culinary school. And if someone told me like, oh, by the way, in 10 years, you become the you know head chef at the U embassy. And after, before that, you were at the Portuguese embassy and you're going to meet all these people and teach classes. I'll say like, you're crazy. Of course, that will never happen. So I never, never in a million years uh, expected to be where I am. So absolutely breaking dishes. And I literally break dishes. I break a lot of China. In well, I cannot wait to see you continue to break more fine China. Break those dishes everywhere. Thank you very much. Thank you, Becca. Mm-hmm. I love you. Did you like that? Huh? Thank you very much, Becca, for everything. Thank you very much for the interview, for being a great friend. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I hope you learned a little bit more about myself. And that's it. I hope you have a wonderful summer. 
Make sure you share the podcast with your friends. Tell your friends all about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. Follow me on Instagram at David G. Martin's Chef, the same handle for Facebook. Also, if you want any information, you can find me on the website, davidgmartins.com. I'll be back this fall. Make sure you have a lovely summer. Stay safe. Be happy. Adios. <laughs>